I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. And here are the hosts of the Lore Love Podcast. John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tackle Box Beat. Thanks, Lucy. John, I was chatting with Bailey from the Serious Angler Podcast, and I will put the link in the show notes. Bailey talks about tournament fishing and lots of other great bass-related topics. Well, Bailey mentioned how sometimes he breaks a crankbait lipper body when slapping it on the water to remove weeds. Now, I thought he was kidding at first. That has never happened to me. Has that ever happened to you? Well, you'd think it had happened to me because, you know, where I live, if you're running a lip bait, uh, you're snagging weeds and you're slapping them off because we got plenty of them here in Kansas. But, you know, no, it, it has never happened to me. Now, I do fish a lot of oldies, and the way they got old was because they're tough. And so it definitely can come down to a question of materials sometimes. I wanted to reach out to some of our listeners and see, has this happened to many people? Because I was just shocked that it it has ever happened to anybody besides maybe now and then getting a defective uh, crankbait. So I posted it on social media and guess what? 60% of anglers who responded said they had broken a crankbait by slapping on the water to remove weeds. 60%. Dang, we got some strong anglers with some real weed anger amongst us. Yeah, I mean, I must not be working out enough at the gym. Is there a special machine for anglers that strengthens our casting arms so they can slap those lures harder or what? What do you mean, like the rod arm ripper or the weed fling muscle motion accelerator? I mean, there has to be an element of passion to the motion to really bust a bait. You know what? I need to get to the bottom of this right now. And so I'm going to do a test. Um, Hold on a second. I'll be right back. Wait, we're recording. Where are you going? The the bathroom? John, you can hear Tim running bathwater, and he walked into the bathroom with his heavyweight bait casting rod with a standard issue crankbait attached. He is obviously going to test how many slaps it takes to break a crankbait. In the bathtub? It would appear so. And people say I'm the crazy one. Oh, man. John, I think it is appropriate for me to share some information from the Centers for Disease Control with our listeners. Well, go right ahead. It seems like we have some time to kill. Thank you. In a single year, 21.8 million people sustain non-fatal, unintentional injuries. Bathrooms are a particularly hazardous location. Well, how many are caused by testing a crankbait in your bathtub, Lucy? There is no data about that, John, but we may have one data point soon. I've calculated the probability of Tim getting to 30 without an accident, and the probability is only 1.2%. Oh, no, that's not good. All people, but especially older adults, and I would include Tim in that category, should be aware of bathroom activities that are associated with a high risk for injury. Falls are the most common primary cause of injury, and the most frequent diagnosis is contusions or abrasions. Most patients are treated and released from the emergency department, but 14% are subsequently hospitalized. The highest rates were for injuries that occurred in or around the tub. But Tim's near the tub. Most bathroom accidents were during bathing, showering, or getting out of the tub or shower. There is no mention of testing crankbaits in the bathroom. the heck was that damn what apple what's going on in there man are you all right you're all wet 
John, the crankbait broke. What? When you slapped <laughs> it on the water? Not exactly. I was winding up for a really good slap and the crankbait got caught on the shower curtain. And when I tried to yank it free, it came out, but it wrapped itself around the light above the sink. And then when I yanked on that snag, the light came off the wall and fell into the toilet along with me. And then the lid from the toilet tank fell off and landed on the crankbait. That's what broke it. Well, I still say you're part of the 60% who have broken a crankbait while slapping it on the water. I will contact the Centers for Disease Control and provide this new data to them. And remember, do not attempt to test crankbait toughness in your bathtub. We reached out to Louis Lures to get some review samples because we were intrigued not just by their baits, but their business model as well. Now, Louis Lures was started by Louis Rohrer, who has a long history of fishing and manufacturing in his family. Both his father and grandfather were woodworkers, and they specialized in artisan furniture. Now, after a long day in the wood shop, they'd all go out together and relax the rod in their hands, and I can't think of a better way to do it either. And in that time, Louis's father and grandfather taught him the art of handcrafting these wooden lures. So word of Louis's prowess with a fishing pole and word of Louis's prowess with a Whitland knife soon got around to everybody. And as word of his lures and fishing expertise grew, anglers started asking to buy the lures from him, of course, and Louis's lures was born. Now, John, lure making is a really diversified industry. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of small companies manufacturing fishing lures. And even the larger brands typically fall under the umbrella of a large corporate company that uh, provides the marketing and the distribution and the scale necessary to get a new lure in front of millions of anglers. Yeah, it's true. And this is what's great about Louis Lures, because they're working with smaller lure designers and smaller manufacturers to provide handcrafted lures and baits that are sourced directly from the talented craftspeople who make them. So this allows for constant innovation and high quality and specialization uh, while also allowing their partners to reach a much larger market. So it also, and it allows us as customers to buy a wider selection of the baits at the same time. Uh, Louis Lures partners include on the spot baits, Bass Reaver Bait Company, Bay State Baits, FOM Lures, Real Threat Custom Lures, Born to Tie Jigs, and Rinker Spinner Baits, among others. And so, of course, they've got spinner baits, they got soft baits, they got hard baits, they got jigs, they got all kinds of tackle over there. Get over there to louislures.com and check it out. It's really a cool site. We reviewed some of the core shot soft baits and jigs from on the spot baits. A core shot plastic is kind of a plastic lure within a plastic lure. The manufacturing process is very, very cool. And you can find YouTube videos showing exactly how it's done. But what they do is they use a traditional metal mold but they add a slender removable rod that goes through the middle of the bait. And so when the first plastic is injected into the mold, it goes around the metal rod. Then the plastics are removed and the metal rods are pulled out, leaving an empty space the entire length of the bait. The baits are placed back into the mold and a second color is injected, which fills the gap where the rod was. And as I said, there's some great YouTube videos showing the process, um, which gives a very unique look when the outer color is translucent, so the inner color shows through. 
Oh, who doesn't love core shots? It's a great way to make baits. And when, you know, I don't know who came up with it. Uh, it's better than the stuffed crust pizza. Way better, way better, way better. And I tell you, you know, fat guys, they make some molds to do some core shots. And uh, Charlie Brewer, one of the tails we use on Crappie Doodler is a core shot, uh, a clear chartreuse with red in it. Um, anyway, it's an exciting process. So uh, we had the maker uh, send us some more information on the baits. And let me tell you a little bit more about them, Tim. This guy is his eight up with making plastic plastic baits as I am uh, when it comes to making wire baits. So Sean Kazmierski, he is the designer and owner of On The Spot Baits. He gave us insight into his design process, some real insight. So hang on here, guys. Okay, so Sean's first step when trying to mimic a live bait with an artificial is to look at photos of the fish he's caught as well as other online photos. And then he creates a composite of the most unique features that he wants to include in that bait and forms a mental image of the design, keeping in mind the materials and techniques, which he has at his disposal. So this is, this is a standard creative process. I don't care if you're making a bait or painting a picture or, or cooking dinner, you, you, you put the pieces in your mind and then you, uh, you put them together, you synthesize. So Sean said this about the rainbow trout stick worm he sent to us. With the rainbow trout, I started with the color core I wanted. It pretty much goes the same way with each color match I create. I have the color I want in my head, and I just keep adding colorant until I get the desired color. With this pink, there are three different colorants I used to get my color. I wanted it to stand out, so I had to make it a brighter bubblegum pink, something the fish couldn't miss. When it came to the outer core, Sean experimented through trial and error. I started with a clear plastic and just added an emerald highlight, which is a powder that won't change the color like a liquid pearl, but would still give it a pearlescent effect. But that didn't give me the color contrast I wanted. Rainbow trout have more of an organic green tint, so added as a green to the mix and nailed it. All right, way to go, Sean. Even the glitter type and the amounts are carefully thought through. Last, I look at the photos to come up with the glitter color and the sizes I want to use. This bait has three different sizes of black glitter. And when you look at a rainbow trout, you'll see the small specks of black along with the larger spots. And I tried to mimic that. I just kept adding until it looked right to me. And Sean, you did a great job. The three different size glitters give it super, super, super depth. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Great idea. Well executed, brother. All right. Now, Sean uses a test tank to see how the new baits look and act in the water. And he goes, I shot them out as turds first, which turds is Ned Katie's real name for a TRD tail. It's the little three inch sticks. Uh, but if, if that offends you, I'm sorry. Um, I'll, I'll say TRD from now on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, he shot out the little, little two and a half, three inch TRDs. And because I thought it would look, look awesome bouncing along the bottom. So I rigged one up and I tossed it in the tank and it looked like a rainbow trout foraging along the bottom. I knew I'd nailed the color at that point. Louis Lures sent us some skirted eighth-ounce football jigs to add to the, um, the the little TRD tail. I've been using just the TRD tail. I have been having some trouble with some sleepy-headed bass that are kind of going into that fall thing where they've just there's forage all around and they only want to feed at certain times. And I'm having a little trouble figuring them out. Uh, but you 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 got you got some help for me, Tim. You got a pattern for me that I got to get out and try. Tell me about it. Yeah, I took these out to the test pond. And one of the things I like about the TRDs is they float. It's a very um, buoyant plastic. So when they're on the bottom, they do stick up like the tails up in the in the water as if it is a foraging fish. And so I took these down to the, the test pond. Now, my test pond had been so quiet for a couple of weeks. The bass seemed like they had lockjaw. They hadn't been hitting anything. And I've been trying finesse baits, crank, topwater, 
and typically the fish do slow down this time of year, end of summer, beginning of fall. And this year was no exception. So I tried fishing the rainbow trout, um, Ned TRD by itself first. And I got a hit or two and I caught a massive bluegill. It was like the Loch Ness bluegill. It probably went, was close to a pound. <laughs> the Loch Ness bluegill. <laughs> but the fishing was still pretty slow for me. But then I switched to the football jig with a rainbow trout Ned. And it was like I had flipped a light switch in the pond. The bass began smashing this jig as I slowly swam it along. And the, the color combination with the size profile were perfect. Often bass are looking for a larger meal at this time of year as they try to gear up for winter. And to me, the, the jig looked just like a bite-sized bluegill, even though it's designed with some pink in it, like a rainbow trout. To me, it looks like a, a bluegill, and it obviously did to the bass. One of the things I love about the rainbow trout design is this transparent outer layer with the core shot, because it not only looks like a rainbow trout, it looks like a lot of smaller bait fish that have that translucent look to them, not like a, a shad or something that has the, the, real, the armor plate kind of scales. But we have a lot of darters in Ohio. In the, the when I fish for smallmouth, I see thousands of darters. That's what the smallmouth are eating, and they're small, colorful bait fish too. Some have a pinkish tone, bluish, greenish. And my first thought when opening the package of rainbow trout stickworms was, these imitate a darter very well. So I was pretty pumped up about it. So thanks to Louis Lures for providing the samples and for Sean for sharing his design insights. It just an it really an incredible bait. Um, it's some a cut type that I have not seen on the shelves anywhere, and I am definitely a fan. Me too. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm a fan of looking at them, and I've only got to fish it like I said twice, once or twice. So I am going to get to be a bigger fan because I've got to get out of here. And thank you, Louis, for sending me an excuse to get out of this office and down to the fishing hole because I need one. We will also add the Louis Lures website in the show notes so you can get over there and buy some of these bad boys. Warning, warning, lure news alert, lure news alert. Tim, you and I have been fishing Z-Man Elastec all year long as part of our Elastec challenge. And you got a couple of pieces of news from Z-Man for us. Yeah, I sure do, John. The first is that when it comes to crappies, Major League Fishing competitor David Walker is a wizard with a small jig and soft bait. And he loves that panfish can't peck the tails off Elastec baits because they stretch so much, which is something I like about it, too. He also likes the Elastex flexible action, even when you're using a very small bait. You know, a lot of those PVC-based baits, they lose some action when they get uh, really tiny. And David likes to use the Slim Swim Z, which is a little two and a half inch paddle tail swim bait. And he puts it on an eighth ounce panfish jig, which is right up your alley. But here's the cool part. He carries a small pair of super sharp scissors with him. And uh, he does a little elastic surgery. So he cuts a quarter inch off the slim swimsy head for a slightly shorter profile or just enough so that the bait maintains its original size after rigging it on a jig head. At other times, he'll snip off the boot tail, that little tail at the end of the swim bait to create a sword tail effect. John, you and I began doing some similar things the moment we started testing elastic. You bet we did. The spring, I cut up a couple of trick shot uh, Z's to make some panfish baits. Uh, yeah, I had to brush the tears from my eyes as I put scissors to my green pumpkin trick shot, but it was worth it. I found things that worked and some that didn't. 
Now the little rubber uh, leg spiders I made were a real hit. And like you said, Elastac keeps a better action in a small size. So for example, the beaver tail on a trick shot will stay active even when you make it down into a small jig size. And when, oh, when will they come out with the panfish tails and then get two Midwestern crappie maniacs with a podcast that alliterates on L to <laughs> test them out? That's my <laughs> other question. Well, Z-Man tells me that they're working on that. I do the same thing that David did. I have my fly um, tying scissors and they're great. You can just kind of cut up those baits into smaller sizes and elastic already lasts so long. But when you take one, you know, a, a, a stick worm or something and turn it into eight or 10 of them, it feels like that could last you a thousand crappy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it stays tough and now you're, you know, getting, you know, two, three, four, five lures for the price of one. Now, one of the things that David does that I have not done is he uses oil-based attractants with elastic baits. Uh, that's definitely something I want to try. Now, do you use scent very often, John? I mean, besides the Axe body spray you spray on every morning? Axe body spray, please. I use Eau de Croppie in a fancy little atomizer. Look, I want to attract people who like the idea of a guy that's just been fishing and smells that way. It's, it's cheaper just to take the whole crappy and just, you know, a, a little on the neck and a little under each arm and you're set for the day. Yeah, or just put a whole small crappie under each arm, but they've kind of, you know, that went viral. It's outlawed <laughs> in a lot of states now. The other piece of news from Z-Man is that they have a new six-inch long shots bait that looks incredible. It's a very thin worm with a pointed tail on it. And the thing is so flexible. When you hold it by the head, it bends 180 degrees downward. So I just can't wait to fish with this thing. Um, it's longer than most of their other baits. And I think you could probably stretch the thing across the room like a rubber band. Oh, I bet you could. You know, I can't wait to fish with it either. It sounds like a wacky rigging dream. And when I tell Tommy, he's just going to jump in the truck and say which way, because I know he's going to want some too. He's one of my triumphs of the summer. He's an absolute Z-man man now. And the colors are great too. Like their other, uh, their other baits. I have packages in twilight, which I think they should have called Northern lights. It has kind of a, this glow to it. And then green pumpkin and their, um, Gobi Bryant bubble gut and hot snakes, which is a wonderful name for a color. So we will, uh, we'll let you know how they fish in a future episode. And we will put a link to their website in the show notes. The DeLong lure company is back in business. So in 1946, David DeLong poured his first six-inch killer worm in Akron, Ohio. He would go on to form the DeLong Lure Company, which set up business in nearby Cleveland. And the company expanded and moved its operations to Centerville, Ohio, to operate for the next several decades. In Centerville, the company hit its stride and would be at the forefront of fishing innovation. Not only did DeLong produce some of the most lifelike artificial baits of the day, but it was the first company to produce a scented lure, and the company also held several patents for innovative weedless hooks that are still used today. Now, John, I lived in Centerville, Ohio for many years, and I did not even know this history. Oh, Tim, what are you saying? What? You had you had a lure a treasure in your midst and, and oh, well, all is forgiven because, you know, I, I don't know. I, these things happen, but uh, surely your, your, your lure dar 
wasn't on back in those days the way it is now because if i know now you get within you know five miles yeah my spider senses which is just lit up with that i blame it on uh the history textbooks you know they leave out this important stuff and were probably teaching me about who knows that you know george washington or or Watergate or something and not about lure history. So I just yeah, I what, blame it on the education system. What were they teaching us back then? I mean, guys, Centerville, let's get to the important stuff, the plastic worms for Pete's sake. DeLong lures were a staple in bait and tackle shops across the country, and they were famous for their rigged killer worms in their unrigged Act Alive series. DeLong made lures for every fish from tiny little trout worms to 18-inch giant witch musky baits. He made all sorts of bugs, too, including mayflies, bees, grasshoppers. They also made eels, crayfish, shrimp, minnows, and tadpoles. So they had a really well-rounded line of of baits there. In the early 1980s, DeLong Lures was sold to a tire manufacturer in Warren, Michigan, just outside Detroit. And John, I love this, how you have a manufacturing company and the owner likes to fish and they're like, well, we should be making some baits too. So this tire company now is making um, baits. And I wonder, do you think if you took a big tire and you put a huge treble hook on it, you could catch a shark? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm up to that challenge, you know, but you're going to have, you know, I don't know if I can just do it with a bare tire, you know, you're going to give me some chartreuse paint, some silver paint, maybe, you know, and then, uh, oh yeah, I'm going to have to, you know, get a little color in there and then I'm going to, I'm going to take and, uh, I'm going to put some, uh, I'm going to take a punch and I'm going to put some flutter, some, some, some flutter material on the back. So it has a nice fluttery tail. Right. And then of course I got to put some dive planes. I got to put some planes on it, you know, so it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The water little kind of shooby-doo, shooby-doo, shooby-doo as it goes along. And then I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to get the, I'm going to take that car where I got that tire and I'm going to take the headlights and I'm going to mount them on there. So it has these two killer eyes, like some sort of <laughs> giant squid critter thing and yes it will be the number one bait for the big sharks you know oh and i'm gonna stuff the tire with my own patented sardine roast beef mix so it'll be like a stuffed tire yeah so it'll have it all baby have it all it'll trail the scent and it'll have the action so yeah tim bring it on let's go so by the mid-1990s, DeLong Lures was just a former shell of the great company it once was. You could still find fishing lures, but few stores carried them, and you really had to look hard to find them. That's when Ed Pavarnik rescued the company. Ed had been fishing with DeLong Lures since he was a boy, and eventually his favorite worms became harder and harder to find. So finally, he called the number on the back of the lure pack and started dealing with the company directly to get his lures. After a few years of buying the lures from them, the girl who ran the lure section of the company said her father might be interested in selling the fishing lure part of the business and asked Ed if he was interested in buying it. I love this. He calls the number on the back of the pack and they end up offering the company to him. Is that a great story? That is a fabulous story. Fabulous story. So in 1998, Ed talked to a friend and they decided to buy the company and move it to Indiana, they brought back the killer worms that made DeLong famous. And as they were digging through some of the old saltwater molds, they discovered some lures that were designed for the ocean, but Ed knew they would be fantastic for musky. So he launched a line that took the musky world by storm. Can you, I can just imagine going through this attic and finding these old metal molds, you know, with, with these uh, 16, 18 inch plastic baits. Oh, it just, it's just, you know, you know, we both like to pick, we both like to fiddle with lures. We, we, you know, we both like to, oh yeah. You know, coming upon a find like that and being like, 
And then of course they're fishers. They're designed, you know, they're just like, well, I don't know much about using this for Barracuda, but if it works on a Barracuda, I guarantee it's going to work on a muskie. For the next 12 years, Ed ran the company and he returned the company to much of its former glory. But unfortunately, it had to close the company in 2012 and it remained closed for nine years. But this company is like the Frankenstein monster. It lives. It's come back to life again. <laughs> so in, in 2021, the company was rescued by three guys who got their start in the outdoor industry as bloggers writing articles for the huntingnews.com. Brothers Aaron and Brandon Fertrell and their cousin Stephen Ziegler, they bought the company. Here's their story. Another great one. Brandon introduced the other two to DeLong in 2004 when he picked up DeLong's twin tail weedless tadpole. He was in high school at the time. He shared his favorite new lure with his buddies who became hooked on it as well. And DeLong became their go-to bass lure until 2016 when the local bait and tackle shop finally ran out of what they had on hand. So since then, Brandon always kept an eye out for them, but they never showed up. So in early 2021, Brandon decided to Google DeLong and found that the entire company was for sale. A few phone calls later and some quick negotiations, the boys bought the company and moved it back to Northeast Ohio, where it all began. They started in Stephen's parents' garage, but located a, a building in Canal Fulton, a small historic town in Stark County, where they got the company up and running and producing the high quality fishing lures that DeLong had been made famous for throughout the years, they have some amazing plastics. And what I really like about this is they go from tiny ice fishing jigs to a 13 inch eel musky bait. And for bass, they actually have a 16 inch snake lure. Their baits are beautiful. They use these fluorescent colors, but John, we've talked about how common it is for fishing lure brands to change hands while the lures themselves continue to be popular. And that's what we see here. This, you just cannot keep this lure company down. People who use the baits keep buying it and resurrecting it. Yeah, you know, and I love the fact that people are, are excited enough or it's motivated them to just flip over the bait card and call or to get on Google and, and find out what the deal is now that my dealers run out. And um, it's crazy. It's crazy how uh, durable these, these brands are. So these brands get sold uh, for various reasons. And it's not usually not because the lure has lost oomph or popularity it's because their distributions broke down or because some area of life has has caused them to not be able to pay attention to their sales and their their lure business as much as possible or they age out of it and the kids you know or whoever would make take over or not in the family so it has to be sold to somebody who's going to carry it on and and i just love that in both instances they fished the baits first that's how they came to know the product and then they bought the company. This is just great. So we are going to put a link to DeLong Lures in the show notes. And we've also reached out to them to see if we can get some of these baits to review for a future episode, because they look killer, the killer worm and all the rest of these. These are some nice baits. Hey, baby. This is K-Lure Radio, K-L-U-R, where we flash, wobble, and roll. Next up... Bird Hall and the Roadrunner, 1958. Yes, 1958 was the year that the Roadrunner underspin was invented by auto parts dealer and fishing tackle jobber Bert Hall of Forsyth, Missouri. Welcome to KLUR, 
Lure History Radio. I'm your host, John Crappie Hippie King. Now, some people call a roadrunner a jig and some people call it a spinner, but if you've ever used one, you're just going to end up calling it a dang good lure. Now, let's talk a little bit about Burt Hall and, and what he had going on back then in 1958. Now, not only did he sell auto parts, but he had a little tackle company called Hall Tackle Company, and it consisted of a couple trucks he sent around selling lures and fishing nets and line and other wares to tackle shops in southern Missouri, northern Arkansas, and eastern Oklahoma. And one of his biggest accounts at the time was a burgeoning chain of stores named Walmart. He clearly was a tackle tinkerer, too, though. It took Mr. Hall, they say, four or five years before he could bring his idea into fruition. But once he finished creating the Roadrunner, he knew he had a bait like no other. The head was completely unique to jigs up in that time and is still completely unique today and would eventually generically be known as the horse or pony head. However, you just say Roadrunner to anybody that owns an ultralight and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. So how did Roadrunner move into the big time? Okay, let's start off with a company called Blakemore. They're the current brand that produces Roadrunner today. Well, they started out back then as a fly tying company in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Now, by 1969, Bert's son Joe was a grown-up man and a jet setter and had big ideas for the company, and he wanted to expand the family business. Now, at that time, local Ozark families had been tying the Roadrunners for haul tackle. Uh, a lot of times they just come get the materials, take them home, tie the bugs, bring them back to be sold. Uh, so they had all these families, you know, on their staff, making it a hot bait for tourists to buy when they're in the Ozarks and gradually throughout the Midwest and even up into Kansas City uh, and, and into eastern Kansas, where I lived at the time. Uh but anyway, uh, and, and know that they needed all these tires because jigs with plastic tails were not a big deal back then. There were very few kinds. Plastics were new in general, and uh, plastic tails for crappie jigs had not come to the level that they are today. No Bobby Garland with uh, 30 different uh, tail designs and 500 colors. Feathers, marabou in particular, and bucktail were still the preferred materials for jigs. So when Joe Hall became acquainted with Blakemore, which by 1969 had brought its business to Lebanon, Missouri, he made an offer and bought out Blakemore and moved Blakemore to Branson, which is just upstream from Forsyth, Missouri, uh, on Tanny Como. So now they had a tying company with a brand and had a big staff of tires associated with Blakemore. And then they still had their local families that they could employ to continue making the jigs. And so by 1970, there was hardly a tackle shop anywhere in the Midwest where you couldn't just walk in and buy a good Marabou Roadrunner, and you could get one mail order just about anywhere. Uh, Blakemore is now Blakemore TTI Fishing Company, and they have several brands and, and companies underneath them. Uh, a little curious aside there, uh, Bert Hall wrote a book called These Ozark Hills about his fishing life in one of the most fishing places in the United States, and you can get that on Amazon and I think eBay, and of course I'm going to be searching out Interlibrary Loan for that one because it sounds like a good read for over the winter time. Uh, most of the information for this article came from an article I read online by Dave Ritter's house. He is a member of the White River Valley Historic Society. You can go to their website, uh, White River Valley Historic Society. And this was written May 2nd, 2010. Thank you, David, for the crucial information. And final note, my own humble opinion, I want to tell you just a little bit about Tanny Como. Tanny Como is one of those things like a river lake. It, it comes out of... Uh, 
uh, the White River comes out of Table Rock, nice and cold, and gets released, and then goes on down to Bull Shoals, where there is also a dam. Uh, so this this water level and the flow and everything else is controlled between these two lakes. So sometimes there's no current, sometimes there's a lot of current, and sometimes there's just the right amount of current. And the trout fishing in Tanicomo can be fantastic. It's a major destination for fishers. And uh, Forsyth is right on Tanicomo as is Branson. So I can't help but think that Bert was out there from time to time testing that lure in Tanny Como where he could get no current, slight current, heavy current, and fishing and all that current helped him get the balance and the flutter and, and, and the flash and everything just right on that bait because I'll tell you, we're going to talk about all the fish you can catch here in a minute. But one of the ones I want to mention now is trout. It is one of the best trout lures you can buy. I have gone on and on and on here. Now, let's get Tim Tacklebox beat in on this stuff. You've been sitting there like a good boy, an excellent student this whole time. Now, I'm not even going to ask you if you use a Roadrunner, Tim, because I know you use a Roadrunner. I just want to know what some of your favorites are. Well, John, the Roadrunner, it's one of my the first lures I ever remember having in my tackle box. It's it's that classic jig with its elongated nose that points downward and that underspin that places the spinner just parallel to the hook which is really interesting. So it, it's not pointed down. It just is out there fluttering parallel. I I always love the fluorescent colors they have, although I, I fish the uh, Roadrunner in black as well. And I fish the Marabou, but I've always been partial to using one of the plastic grubs or something like that on the Roadrunner. What I really love is that quote from Bert Hall, inventor of the Roadrunner. You can't fish a Roadrunner wrong as long as you fish it slow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that quote, too. But John, you know, at my age, after watching Saturday morning cartoons as a kid, Roadrunner and Slow just don't go together in my mind. I know that. I know that. And then that good old Plymouth, right? You know, it was not a it was a street machine, a dominator. It was not made to go slow. What did that thing have in it? A five hundred something engine anyway. <laughs> yeah, the Roadrunner. I don't know, Bert. Uh yeah. It, I mean, I don't care if you're fishing the 132nd with your ultralight or your, I saw a video where a guy had these big, huge three and four ounce ones. He was out fishing for striper in the ocean. You get trout, panfish, smallies, whites, crappies, black past the list goes on and on and on. And I'll tell you, it makes my top three baits for beginners because I love to hand a, a beginner a jig and you put a little spinner flippity, flippity, flippity on there. And uh, they almost always catch something on a Roadrunner. And, of course, that's why it's in my top 10 classic must-have baits, because it is surefire and easy as heck to fish. It is easy to use. It's like a fishing lure and a dessert topping and a floor wax all combined. <laughs> it's, it's hard to fish it wrong. You know, you cast it out, and uh, you can fish it slow. You can reel it straight back in. So for... People who are just beginning fishing it is certainly a great lure to start with. The category of underspins, that is something that is near and dear to your heart. So why is that? Why are you so such an underspin fanatic? Well, because, you know, I've been building a lot of lures, uh, you know, all throughout my life. But the very first lure that I built and thought up and took all the way to production and is now out on the marketplace was angle king and that is an underspin with two blades i was in a quest to figure a way to mount a, a blade on the very front of a jig and uh, one thing led to another and i'd always been a huge fan of the roadrunner and thought wow if we have all these double overspins why shouldn't we have a double underspin 
And I made mine to do some things to click and to do some cool stuff. But uh, yeah, without Bird Hall out there and without that underspin becoming one of my favorite baits as a kid, I wouldn't have been so red hot about them and been looking to go this way as I grew up and got into what I'm doing now. And with the Roadrunner, they've really thought this out for specific types of fishing. And one of the, the best features of it is that vertical drop. Um, and like you said, with the, with the underspin, with that blade underneath, I find that sometimes you do a little better on your hookups. The, the spin is not going to get in the way of the hook at all, the way it, it might on some of the, uh, the overspins. But that vertical drop is really exceptional. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of companies like fish head and so on are coming out with different ways to mount the blade to make it a little more free. So it really, uh, gets a lot of action on, on the drop. Um, I mean, like I said, in the main body of the, uh, report, you know, uh, these Ozark lakes, uh, table rock in particular, um, um, were real bluffs, you know, lots of bluffs. I want to say bluffy. Is that a, is that an adjective? Anyway, there are a lot of bluffs, a lot of timber, a lot of vertical cover of all kinds. In fact, uh, I think table rock finished filling in 1958, right? When the, uh, Roadrunner came out and, uh, they found that, you know, you want to fish for those spotted bass, especially, but a nice large mouths too. And, and so on along these vertical rock faces and the uh, ability of a Roadrunner to just drop down straight down that rock face without spinning uh just having the spinner spin but having the rest of the lure just go come on down uh was an amazing tactic uh to catch fish that were using those sorts of habitat so it became super popular for bass and of course in the timber with the bass but also the crappies you you let that 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 jig just fall and it falls nice and slow and the crappie come up and hit it and and you can just find where they're suspended along those trees oh yeah vertical bait swimming bait and it's a great lure and current too those ozark lakes are legendary especially in the era when burt hall thought up the road runner and we may need to do a story on all the basin techniques that came out of those hills that is absolutely brilliant a report with lots of research in person frontline journalism we will stay in the ozarks all next summer if we have to fishing for the cause of knowledge getting to the truth by living the truth. Right on, man. Right on, man. All right. That's it for another episode of the Lure Love Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at lurelovepodcast.com for more news, reviews, and chances to win great merchandise. Lure Love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my life.